My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And it's good to see all of you here this morning coming together to just worship together and then hear from the Lord. Uh, so what we do here, we just worship God passionately and then uh, preach passionately. We take breaks and do some series now and then, but we always return back to the Bible. And the last seven years has been the book of Luke. And so sometime before the Lord comes back, we may be out of this book, but we're up to chapter 22. Um, we're dealing with the uh, section where Jesus has just been arrested. And now he's going on quote-unquote trial, though it really was a sham trial. I want to title this message, God Wants to Talk. Because we're going to focus on one aspect of this passage that has to do with this thing called prophecy. As I was talking about this passage with the team that helps put this together, uh, there's a number of things, ways, directions we could go, uh, but we felt like this is a topic which we believe is extremely important, but which we haven't dealt with for a couple of years. And I hope that as you see, it's one that is extremely important. It's also one around which some people have buzzers, and I understand that, because I do. You may come from backgrounds where prophecy has been uh, abused, and uh, maybe you've been even beat up by it. I encourage you to keep an open mind, just let God move. We're going to try to really give a balanced sort of presentation of this. But let's start with the passage, is Luke chapter 22. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? So it's kind of a pin the tail on the hitter game here. And they're, they're trying to get Jesus to prophesy on demand. And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. This is a sham trial. This is a, a kangaroo court. Uh, if it was a real trial, they'd be meeting in the temple, not in the, the house of the high priest. Uh, if it was a real trial, they'd go by some uh, standardized legal protocol that had been written down. They were breaking a lot of those rules here. You would never treat a defendant the way they're treating Jesus if this was a legitimate trial. Uh, the outcome of this trial is, has been settled before it ever began. They've been plotting this trial since at least the time when Jesus cleansed the temple. It says there that they began to plot against him. That's why all, they, they could uh, pull the whole council together at a moment's notice first thing in the morning. And they want to do that because they're in a hurry. They want to get Jesus tried by their court, turned over to the Romans, and executed before Sabbath. And so they're kind of in a hurry here. This is a rush trial. Okay, moving on. It says, if you are the Messiah, these people said to him, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Jesus is basically saying here, look, at, I'm not going to pretend like this is a real trial, like we're having a real conversation. If I were to answer your questions, you wouldn't believe it. Your mind's already made up. And if I ask you questions, you're not going to give me authentic answers. So let's just call this sham for what it is. I mean, he's not going to participate in their game. But then, in essence, he says, I'll, I will say, tell you this. From now on, and the phrase could actually mean starting right now, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the mighty God. That's an amazing statement. This phrase, right hand, was synonymous in, in uh, uh, Jewish culture for the strength of God, the power of God, the glory of God. To see the right hand or the right arm of the Lord was to see his power put on display. They used it often when they felt that God helped them crush their enemies. They saw the right hand of God. Now, Jesus doesn't specifically refer to himself as the Son of Man, but it's, pretty, it's, it's very clear that that's what he's doing. And that must have just freaked these guys out. 
Either that or got them laughing because they would be looking at him and they're saying, you're going to be seated at the right hand of the mighty God starting now? I don't think so. You're being humiliated. You're being mocked. You're about to be tortured. You're about to be executed. You're hardly in the power of God. You see, when they didn't understand, and what a lot of people today, including a lot of Christians today, don't understand, is that the power of God is not primarily about him displaying victory over and conquest over enemies. It's most displayed by him doing what he's doing here right now, by him dying on the cross for his enemies. The cross, Paul says, is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God to those who believe. God's glory, God's power, God's might is displayed in his magnificent character demonstrated on the cross when Jesus suffers. God, God incarnate suffers at the hands of mockers and abusers and finally executioners, and he does it out of love for the very people who are executing him. That, friends, is the power of God. That, people, is the, the glory of God. It doesn't look that way to the thinking of the world, but see, here's the new dimension of the revelation that Jesus brings to this world. The power of God, the glory of God, the wisdom of God doesn't look anything like the natural mind would ever think it to be. This is why. We glorify God and put God's power on display and put God's wisdom on display, not when we try to get victory over other people and impose our will on other people. Rather, we glorify God when we wash the feet of other people and serve other people. We shun all the kind of violence and we just love our enemies and serve all those around around us. That is the glory of God. Now, that's really a centerpiece of this passage, but I've talked along those lines the last two weeks, so that's why we're going to focus more on the prophecy thing. But first, let's read two more verses. They all asked him, are you the son of God? Jesus, still not wanting to play their game, said, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need more, any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Now, they're lying. They haven't heard it from his own lips. Uh, but see, their objective here is to pin on Jesus a title of Jewish leadership, whether it's the Son of God or the Messiah or something, because they want to turn him over to the Romans to be executed because Jews under Roman rule weren't allowed to execute anybody. And the Romans would only execute people if they were a political threat. They didn't care about blasphemy or religious heresies or anything. So they had to present Jesus to the Romans as a political threat, so they want to pin the title Son of God or, or, or Messiah or some other leadership claim and put it into Jesus' mouth. Since they couldn't elicit it from Jesus, they just lied and said that he had said it, and now they're going to deliver him over to the Roman court. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, as we talk about you talking to us and talking through us, I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to set aside buzzers that may be, have been installed in our minds from past experiences maybe that aren't very positive. For every person in this auditorium, every person listening through podcasts or any other means, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us an open heart an open mind to receive your word and dare to believe that this is true. Now, God, that you want to use us and can use us to be your mouthpiece in this world. Do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, carry these words into our heart and into our mind. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. There's a real irony at the, at the core of this story, especially as it relates to prophecy. These mockers are trying to expose Jesus as a false prophet. And so they're demanding that he prophesy. Jesus won't play their game. And so to them, that confirms that he's a false prophet. But the irony is that, in the very process of doing that, they're proving that Jesus is a true prophet. Several times throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus prophesying 
that he's going to go into Jerusalem, and when he does, he's going to be delivered over to the Jewish leaders, and he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be scourged, and he's going to be crucified. He's been talking about that all the way, all the time he's been journeying to Jerusalem. He's been prophesying. These folks were fulfilling that prophecy in the very attempt to expose Jesus as a false prophet. That's the irony of things. In the process, they're completely abusing the concept of prophecy. They're assuming that prophecy is something you can do on demand. They're thereby assuming that God is sort of subject to their whim, that God's just supposed to come down and, 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 and uh, uh, work through Jesus in a prophetic way just because they're saying that he should do, do so. It's really treating God like a form of magic or something, like you got God in a box and he has to submit to your whims and your formulas and your requests. That mindset is, is pervasive among people in the Bible, and it's pervasive yet today, where we think we can force God's hand. It's kind of a magical view of, of things. We act as though we are in a position to make a deal with God. You find it among uh, skeptics today, just as you did among the mockers here. I've heard skeptics say things like, well, if, if God is real, then why doesn't he heal that person right now? Or if God is real, I heard one atheist say, well, then, then have him strike me dead right now and I will believe. Which is a little bit of a self-refuting argument if you think about it. But then he claims, since I'm still alive, then, then God must not exist. The trouble is, you're not God. You're not in a position to determine the terms on which God has to act or not act in this world. And see, anytime we think along those lines, we're really uh, thinking in a very unbiblical, magical, pagan kind of a way. But you find this even in the church. I, I see it in different ways all over the place. Here, here's one example. Uh, a lady that I knew a number of years ago was, uh, she was always wondering how come God hasn't sent her a husband. And, and, and I, I would try to gently encourage her to think a little bit broader than that because sometimes there's more than God involved in that question. Uh, maybe if you got out a little more, you know, I don't know. There's things you can maybe do to increase the probability. I don't know, I'm just thinking. But one time, she started dating this guy, and they seemed like they were really clicking. She liked him, and, and, and he liked her, and, and they were kind of, you know, going along pretty well. And then she told me one time, she goes, well, God vetoed that relationship. He vetoed it. Um, I said, how do you know? And she said, well, I decided to throw out a fleece. Now, I'll explain what that is a little bit later on, but it's not good. Um, <laughs> I said, so I made God this deal. I needed to know what he thought about this relationship. So I said, okay, God, okay, God, here's the deal. If he calls me tonight, I will know. I will know that, 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 that you want him to, uh, us to be married. But if he doesn't call tonight, tonight then, then I will know that, that you're not approving of this relationship and I'll break up. No, don't do that. It's, okay, I just try to gently say to her, okay, why did you do that? On what authority did you do that? Why, why think that God's going to conform to your silly deal? Uh, do you think God goes around manipulating people to like, make them have, have phone calls that they otherwise wouldn't make? Does God do that? And certainly, does God do that just because you, you know, made a kind of deal with him? For all you know, God really is for this relationship. It really has possibilities. And, and maybe he was even influencing the guy to say, okay, give her a call, give her a call. But maybe the guy's just stubborn. Or maybe he got into a football game. Or maybe he's just not that into you. I don't know. Um, maybe next month he will be. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why guys maybe don't call gals and gals don't call guys. And none of them have to do with God. But see, now you're leveraging the whole relationship on this silly deal that you made. You see, that's trying to force God's hand. You're really testing God. You're really testing God. Trying to force God's hand, thinking that you have the right to, to make a, a deal. Whenever we think in those terms, 
It's, it always comes back to bite us. It's just not biblical. It's magical kind of thinking. And we should be avoiding that at, at, at all costs. She goes, what about Gideon's fleece? Let's talk about Gideon's fleece. Because I see that coming up every once in a while. Gideon was this guy in the book of Judges. Short story is this. God told him to do something. He didn't want to do it. So he says, well, I can't be sure. So he says, here's the deal, God. He makes a deal with God. So he throws out this piece of cloth called, called a fleece. And he says, if there's dew on the ground but not on the fleece, well, then I know it's your will. So God said, fine. And he did it. Then he still wasn't sure. So he said, now, if there's dew on the cloth but not on the ground the next morning, then I know it's your will. And he did that three times. And God acquiesced and went along with it. But see, if you look at the narrative, it wasn't that, that God condoned that. Gideon was just being stubborn, and God was pretty hard up for somebody to lead an army. So he went ahead and, and acquiesced to it. But look, at because God did something in history, here, here's a very important point. Because God did something in history does not mean that he wants that to be done throughout all of history. We can't build precedents on the exceptional things that God sometimes does in history. People throughout the Bible did a lot of screwy things. And God went along with it because that's all he had to work with. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to repeat, be repeating that. Sometimes they would draw straws to discern God's will. But I hope you don't go around drawing straws or sticks to decide what God's will is. Sometimes they would roll the dice. You know, uh, they say, okay, God, give me a lucky seven here or something like that. One time God gave spiritual advice through a donkey. But I hope you don't go around to farms asking donkeys for spiritual advice. Because God does something does not mean that we're always supposed to be doing that. Don't be testing God. We're not in a position to set down the terms upon which God has to act. He's God, we're not. He operates by his rules, not by our rules. In fact, testing God. Well, there's a time when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and the devil says, I tell you what, if you're, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself off this tower, and your father will protect you. Jesus responded by saying, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And there is a demonic quality to this. Uh, when, when these mockers here are, are putting God to the test, leveraging everything on whether Jesus is a true prophet or the Son of God based on whether or not God conforms to their demand, to that degree, well, they're playing the devil's game. It's not how prophecy is to be treated. Here's what prophecy is in a nutshell. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Prophecy never had its origin in human will, which is why you can't give it on demand. On your market set, go, prophesy. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't originate in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter here is speaking specifically of the Old Testament prophets, but it applies to prophecy in general. What prophecy is in a nutshell is getting a word, a message that doesn't originate in your own will, it originates in God. And then the Holy Spirit carries the speech. It carries the speech. There's an there's a anointing there. There's a, a power that is there. It can be used to exhort people. It can be used to encourage people. It can be used to confront people or to convict people. But it's simply spirit-carried speech. Now, look at it. It's human speech. These prophets are human. All prophets are human. It's not spooky speech. It's not King James speech. 
When people have a word from God, it's just their normal language, and God puts something on their heart to share, and they share it, and the Spirit carries it. That is a prophetic word. Sometimes people get this idea of prophets where, you know, and you, you, some of us come from backgrounds where this happens, where, you know, you have to first start to shake maybe if you're going to give a word of prophecy, and your, your eyes roll back in your head some kind of a trance. And then comes the, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. And it's always like a quiver in their voice, like, God saith to thee. Like Andy Gibbs and the Bee Gees or something, like, I started a joke. I don't know. It, it, it's just sounding, who talks like that? I'm God and I'm very nervous when I give a prophecy. It, it, it's, it's artificial. Whenever anyone comes to me and has a King James flavor, it's like, it's really hard to even listen to it. Oh, Lord. No, it's just normal talk. It's normal talk. It's human talk, common lingo. It's just that the origin of it and the authority of it is something that goes beyond human. It has, it's been carried by the, the Spirit of God. Some people think that, that uh, all prophecy has to be about foretelling the future. And as I mentioned last week, there's a dimension of that sometimes in the Bible, but most prophecy is not about that. You find some of that. But it's a prophetic word to people here and now. Most of the time in the Bible, it's not about predicting what's going to happen in the future. So we have a pagan idea of, of prophecy because we, we base it on Nostradamus or Edgar Cayce or Gene Dixon or one of those kind of folks. That's paganism. The pagans are always trying to peer into the future to, to, to discern what's going to happen. But God speaks to people in the present most of the time to direct them, to often prevent disasters from happening, to change the future, to give wisdom on how they should respond to different situations. It can be a word of exhortation or just a reminder reminder of truth or encouragement or sometimes confrontation or warning, but it's not usually about predicting something that's going to take place in the, in, in, in the future. And there's nothing spooky about it. it. It starts often with just a sense, a sense. There's something uh, important here. And just pay attention to that. And then as you speak, the, there's an authority that happens to your words that, that doesn't come from you. There are times, I think, when I'm teaching or preaching, when I think it, 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 it slides over into a prophetic word. There's just a sense that, okay, the Holy Spirit is really kind of carrying this. The Holy Spirit really is inspiring this. Sometimes stuff comes out of my mouth that I don't remember thinking about. I sometimes feel like I'm more listening to what I'm saying uh, than, than I'm, I'm creating what I'm saying. That's why sometimes you look back and like, man, that was pretty good. I, uh, but the, 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 the Spirit's carrying that. Sometimes you just get a fire in your gut and it will not go away. You know, and, and, and that is God birthing a prophetic word. I think the thing that, the fire I've had, it's been unquenchable for the last several years about the need for the church to separate itself from the world, the need for the church to, to stop being polluted by, infused with, and, and mixed up with the, 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 the nationalism of the culture and the politics of the culture and the divisiveness of the culture and the values of the culture and to be a body of people who look different and, and act different and think different and, and, and live like Jesus Christ and serve their enemies and put off violence. That calls, I think, a prophetic word to Woodland Hills Church and to the church a, a, at large. It's a fire that's burning. That's why... If it's something of God, you just don't take opinion polls on it. Usually those words are not popular. But see, if God's birthing something there, you've got to say it. That is, that is the gift of prophecy. And sometimes when it, when, when it originates in God and God carries that word, that prophetic word, it can land in beautiful and powerful ways. And you don't need to be quivering your voice or having your eyes roll back in your head to make, make it happen. Just uh, several weeks ago, we were together with the meeting house in, our, in, in a prayer time. That group that was down here several weeks ago, Bruxy was preaching here, and we were just praying together. And Janice, who's our executive pastor, she often gets prophetic words. In the middle of the prayer meeting, she simply said, without a quivering voice or anything, she said, I, I feel like someone's supposed to read Psalms 46. 
No, I immediately was a little nervous because some of those psalms aren't very edifying if you read it in the middle of, of a prayer meeting. And I know Janice doesn't know what Psalms 46 says. And so it's like, okay, let's see how this works. But someone read Psalms 46, and as soon as they did, the senior pastor of the meeting house just sort of started to come undone and began to weep. And it turns out there's a whole story behind this. Psalms 46 was like his life verse. It's a verse that got him into ministry. And, and, and that, that was the Holy Spirit is using this opportunity to do a zinger in his life to just kindle up some new things and, and, and strengthen some things in his life. And it was this beautiful, the uncanny way that this happens. You couldn't orchestrate it like that. See, that's the value. That's the beauty of the prophetic word. Nothing spooky about it. Nothing mystical about it. It's just God birthing a word in a person's heart to have it spoken in a gentle, humble way, and bam, it lands. It lands because it's not of human origin. It's of divine origin and carries a divine authority. Now, here's why this is important. Probably a, a lot of folks maybe think that, okay, it's the exceptional people who have that ability. Oh, the pastor maybe. Uh, or the person who's designated as the church prophet, or the super spiritual people, or whatever. But see, that is true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only poured out upon select individuals. It was only the mighty heroes of the faith who were given the gift to prophesy, to speak the word of God to people. It was rare. But see, in the New Testament, things changed profoundly. On the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and all the disciples were baptized in the Spirit. All sorts of supernatural stuff began to happen. It drew a crowd around them. So Peter stands up and explains to the crowd what is going on right now. And he quotes a prophecy in the Old Testament from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. Here's what he says. This is that which you have read about in the book of Joel. In the last days, which simply means in the last epoch, in the last chapter of world history, which we are, we, we are still in. In the last epoch of history, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. All people. It used to just be for the Jews. Now it's going to be for the Jews and Gentiles. It used to just be for the select few. Now it's for all. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. It doesn't have to be just the elderly like it was in the Old Testament. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. It just means they will speak for me. They will be my mouth. It won't just now be a few select super holy individuals. In the kingdom, this kingdom that, 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 that God is birthing here, uh, the unique thing is that every person who's submitted to him, every person who's open to the flowing of the Holy Spirit in their life can be used if they're willing to speak the word of God with an anointing, to speak the word of God with an authority, to prophesy. You don't have to have an MDiv after your name. You don't have to have a, a title. You don't have to have an REV. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be in the church for 10 years and be a mature Christian. You don't have to be free of struggles. Wherever you are at, whoever you are, whatever age you are, whatever class you are, whatever qualifications you have, if your heart is surrendered to him, you can be used as a prophet of God to speak his word today. It's for all. Amen. Paul says, Paul says this is the greatest gift. Here's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now that phrase, it's, it's chrismata in the Greek. It, he's referring to these gifts he talked about in chapter 12, the supernatural gifts, like, like speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and miracles and things of that sort. And those are all for today and they're all available. And Paul says, you know, eagerly desire those. He uses the word zelao in Greek, which means to be zealous for, be zealous to be used with the gifts. But especially, especially the gift of prophecy. He explains why in verse 5. He says, I would that every one of you speak in tongues, 
And see, he, he singles out tongues because the Corinthians were sort of obsessed with that. And Paul says, you know what, as far as I'm concerned, I'd like you all to speak in tongues, wonderful. But you've got to do it in the right way, and he gives instructions around it there. But it's, it's wonderful, yay to all the gifts. Paul's a fan of the gifts. But he says, I'd even rather that you prophesy. What I really want is that you prophesy. Those who prophesy are greater. And in this context, he's talking about exercising the gifts of the Spirit. He means it's more beneficial to the church. You're greater in the church than those who speak in tongues unless they interpret so that the church may be edified. Here's what he's saying is that if you have the gift of being able to pray in a language that you did not learn, that's a wonderful thing, and it builds you up, Paul says. It strengthens you. But other people aren't going to be benefited by it, which is why it's not to be done in a public way that draws attention to yourself. But when you have a, the gift of prophecy, and you're open to God putting something on your heart, putting a fire in your heart, and, and you share that, now, if God's really in it, now the church is built out. Now the church is strengthened. Now that word of encouragement or exhortation or maybe confrontation or word of wisdom, that sense of direction can be given. And this is how the church hears from God. And folks, God is still talking. We need this gift today as much as they did in the first century, maybe more so. Because many of us have a Western naturalized paradigm where we think Christianity... It's all about just sort of believing these eight things and, and doing these four behaviors, and that's what Christianity is. And all the good stuff happened in the past, and God spoke in the past, but not today. And the miracles happened in the past, but not today. But folks, God didn't go mute in the first century. He didn't lose his voice to get laryngitis in the second, third century. He, he's still a talking God. He wants to be communicating with his people. Christianity is not, first and foremost, just a set of beliefs and a set of behaviors. It's a living reality. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit. It's learning how to walk in the Spirit. It's about having a spiritually anointed, spiritually empowered, vibrant, transforming relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what the faith is all about. But this relationship that God creates. And then we become the body of Christ and He's the head and He wants to work in the world through us and speak to the world through us. Every relationship involves communication. If he wants a vibrant contemporary relationship, that means there's a vibrant contemporary communication that needs to be going on. And God can speak to us in the quietness of our hearts, and he can do it in a lot of different ways. But throughout history, and certainly in the New Testament, one of the main ways God speaks to his people is through his people. Prophetic words. When people share what's, what God has put on their heart. And now the whole body is strengthened and the whole body is built up. It is the greatest of the gifts and we need it today more than ever. God is still talking. The question is, are we still listening? And are we making ourselves available to be used as his mouthpiece? I got an image in my head uh, in the first service as I was saying this of, uh, of how, sometimes, you know, if you go to the dentist, you get a root canal or something, you come out and you can't really talk. You got that Novocaine, it's just kind of like this. Like this. Well, it's, I feel like the devil gave the church a shot of Novocaine so we just don't talk very well. You know, God wants to talk through us, but we're all numb. We're numb to the move of the Spirit. We're just not open to that. We live in this closed system, this closed bubble, this naturalized world, and God can't get a word in edgewise. He's, he's talking, but are we listening? Are we listening? Opening up our hearts. Now, now, let's talk about how does this work? How does this work? How does it operate? As I said, there's nothing spooky about it. It's a normal language. You can get a sense, a strong sense. Pay attention to that. Something else and pops into your heart. Pay attention to that. Sometimes it's more of a burning thing you might get. It's just a sense that there's something important I'm supposed to say. I, I think guys, I think a lot of times people give a prophetic word. They don't even know if that's what they're doing because they, they, they respond to that. But often we censor that stuff. Oh, that's weird, and we just censor it. Pay attention to it. 
Other times, God can speak through visions and dreams. That's why Peter mentions visions and dreams on the day of Pentecost. That's part of what it means to prophesy. Your, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Here's what it says in the book of Numbers. He said, listen to my words. When there are prophets of the Lord among you, I reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Now, a vision and a dream, actually, in Hebrew, is, is, is basically the same thing. The only difference is that one happens while you're awake and the other one happens while you're asleep. But both of them happen in the place where dreams take place, and that is what we today call our imagination. And so God downloads, as it were, an image in your head, or a picture, or a scene, or a word. You just get it right there in your head. And that's one of the ways God speaks to his people and speaks through his people. It doesn't mean that every dream you have is of God. It doesn't mean that every picture in your head is of God. Don't go there. But it does mean that if there's a dream that seems to have a special quality to it, or a picture that you get, or a word that you get that has a special quality to it, pay attention to that. And then uh, give here in a moment several tests to put it through. And, and if it seems like it's really of God, then in a humble way, share it. It's important that you share it in a humble way. Yeah. Don't come over people. If, it, if God's in it, you don't need to get a big voice. You don't need to buttress it with your own authority. Thus says the Lord kind of a stuff. No, no, you know, you share it in a quiet, humble way. I often say things like, I'm wondering if, or I'm sensing that. I, you know, and, and it's a directive thing. And if God lands on it, God lands on it. But you don't need to get real big about it or whatever. But we pay attention to those things and then share them. We had a thing happen you know, in our church. A number of turning points in our church have been really given a divine direction through a word or a vision that was shared. Often it's through our executive pastor, Janice. God's used her in some powerful ways. I'll give you one example. While we were you know, kind of praying about a building, at one point Janice got a picture of this bizarre target where there's an arrow pointing into a circle, but it wasn't coming at the target. It was like a sideways thing. And she described it, and it was really weird. And often, when you get these dreams or visions, you don't know what they mean, and they seem kind of weird. So you just kind of put it out there humbly and just say, should we pray about this? Well, we began to pray about this, and lo and behold, the next day, someone had brought in a map of the area of the whole Twin Cities. And for some reason, and I to this day don't know why, there was a circle on that map with an arrow going into the side of it. And the arrow happened to point exactly to this building. Now, we had no intentions of looking at this building. You know, they, it was dilapidated. We didn't have the money for it or anything like that. But this was God's way of saying, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on here. And obviously, as things unfolded, we ended up right here in this building. And, and uh, it happens to be right on the border of St. Paul and, and Maplewood, which has given us this identity of a bridge network and, and things of that sort. God can just zing people and move movements when there are people who are open to sharing what God's putting on their heart. But the final word I want to say is this. It's important that we test these things. You've got to be tested. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, which means do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Here's the balance. On the one hand, we can't treat prophecies with contempt. And some of us could be tempted to do that. If you come from backgrounds where I came, back, came from and, you know, you've seen this so abused and so much muck going on, and it'd be easy to say, you know what, it's all just a bunch of looney tunes. And you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But Paul says, no, that's putting out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. But on the other hand, you've got to test them. You've got to test them. Just because someone comes to you and says, I've got a word from God for you, doesn't mean that's from God. It could just be their imagination. They could have sincere people, be sincere people, whatever, but sometimes our people are mistaken about this. They have to be tested. Every word has to be tested. 
Never make a huge decision because someone told you to. No, it's, there's got to be other things that happen. Here's some criteria that I recommend. Three. First of all, ask the question, is this consistent with the Word of God? First question to always ask, because God doesn't contradict himself. Any word, any alleged word that in any way contradicts what's revealed about God in Scripture, especially through Jesus Christ, um, uh, th then that you know is not a genuine prophetic word. Secondly, ask the question, is it confirmed in your own heart? If God's going to put it in their heart, there'll be a confirmation in your own heart. Uh, I get people saying stuff to me quite frequently through letters and other things, uh, not usually from people in Wilder Hills Church, but outside the church, and God wants you to blah, blah, blah. Well, I, what I always respond by saying is this. I don't want to treat it with contempt. It may be. But on the other hand, if this is true, I'm going to trust that God's going to put a yes in my spirit about it. Right. And so you pray about it. At the same time, and here's the third criteria, you share it with others. All of us need to be in close community with some others that we trust and look up to and respect and are sharing life with. And so if there's a word that you think might be of God, whether you're the one to be sharing it or, or whether someone spoke it to you, pray about it being confirmed in your own heart and then share it with others. Whether it's, the Bible says a number of times, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Get some witnesses here. Pray about this. What do you think is going on here? Especially... It was a major life sort of thing. Don't be putting God to the test about someone calling on a telephone. No, no, no. If, you, if there's something that you're wrestling with, submit it to other people and say, pray about this with me. And, and, and allow the spirit time to build some confirmation in people's hearts. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This is why, by the way, the gifts of the spirit, I believe, are intended to operate in small communities. That's where they operate best. The church of the first century were house churches. They would get together in large groups when they could, in Solomon's porch, whatever. But the primary unit of the faith has always been small communities. And, and the supernatural gifts of the Spirit operate very well in small communities where they can be tested uh, and in personal ministry as God works through you. But when you get a big gathering and most of the people don't know most of the other people, how do you test anything? You see, if you're in a small group and, and somebody, you know, says, I got a word from God and it's something really out of left field, well, it might be the case that you know this person and they're a wonderful person, but they need medication and once in a while they forget to take it. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, you, you know, it's like, okay, Eric or John or Betty, you know, did you take your medication? Because you know, some people need that. But see, if they stand up in the middle of a church service where there's a thousand or two thousand people and we don't know anything about their medication, they go, thus says the Lord, well, you know, huh, uh, now, at, at, at the best case scenario is that the whole service got hijacked. We come together to worship God, and we come together to proclaim the word, and now we've got to be embarrassed by this and kind of come around this. So here's our understanding is that the, gift of, the gifts of the Spirit are intended for house churches like they had in the New Testament and for personal ministry. If anyone feels they have a word that's supposed to be addressed to all the attenders on the weekend, we want to know about it before it goes to press. Uh, and so someone's got to test this. Right, someone's got to test it. And so uh, if you've got a word that you think is, you know, everyone's supposed to hear, uh, and on occasion that's happened, uh, then uh, you just put it in at the, uh, uh, at, at the hub in the gathering area. It gets submitted to leadership, and we won't treat it with contempt. We'll, we'll, we'll take it and pray about it. If we think it's something valid, we'll, we'll, we'll put it before the people. The question I want to end with is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God wants to use you in some circumstances to speak his word. The question is this, will you walk in that identity? Will you open up your heart and say, God, I want to be available? Because this isn't something you decide. It's something you yield to. Yeah. 
And so can we cultivate a mindset where we yield to the Holy Spirit and say, God, you know, in, in, in conversations, be, you know, like the shirt I'm wearing, are you present? Stay awake to God's presence. Every conversation is a potential opportunity for God to just put something in your mind, put something in your heart for you to share. Uh, in, in your group meetings, uh, in, in your personal ministry with your neighbors, there can be times where if we're paying attention, there can be a sense, there can be a fire, there can be a picture, there can be a dream that God puts in our life, and we speak it, and boom, that's how God furthers his kingdom in the world, and it is available to all. I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, I want to encourage you to stop by and sign up for the homeless shelter. Uh, uh, we still need uh, some people to sign up and be a part of that. It's a beautiful ministry. Also, for uh, uh, Heroes Gate, we need folks to be filling in uh, throughout this year, not just filling in, but rather taking out a ministry. Well, you know, here's a beautiful thing that we got to think about. But the passenger says on your young sons and on your young daughters, that can be prophetic words. And uh, maybe we need to be teaching kids about what we, they, we, we just heard now. Uh, you know, out of the mouth of babes, God has perfected praise. Uh, so this is not just taking care of kids. This is about bringing the kingdom uh, to kids. So really, really, really think about doing that. As I pray, the prayer team will come up here. And uh, if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and pray with them. Maybe it's being zealous for the gift of prophecy or some other gifts. Uh, feel free to come up here and, and pray with these folks. Father, I thank you, God, for giving birth to a prophetic movement, a movement that is your mouthpiece. I thank you, Lord God, for using us to uh, uh, be a vehicle by which you speak to your church, by which you edify, encourage, heal, confront, exhort your people, and even further your purposes in this world. Give us a heart that is open and yielded. Give us a heart that is humble and obedient. But also give us the courage to say what you put on our heart to say. Help us, Lord God, never to put out the fire of the Spirit and treat prophecies with contempt. But also, Lord, help us to always be balanced and not go overboard in directions that you would not will. We open our lives up to you. And on all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and further the prophetic kingdom. <laughs>